We'll turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. It's a psalm of David. One one psalm I know that is probably very familiar to all of you. It was probably the very first psalm that you probably memorized as kids or young adults. Um, Just a bit of context with this psalm. This seems as a psalm to come in the later stages of David's life. As certainly throughout the entirety of the text, there there are certain levels of assurance and, and, and recognitions of the Lord's past grace and past care for David in his life. Certainly as he's approaching the end of his days and looking forward to glory. Uh, there are many, the, the main overarching theme of the psalm deals with the Lord's providential care for his people. There are many psalms like it, few that come to mind immediately are Psalm 33, 31, and 147. Uh, but this psalm in particular, unlike the others, seems to drive more of a focus at the whole of life instead of one particular stage of life, not so much considering just how the Lord cares for us when we're in need or when we're in pain or in spiritual depression or anything like that, but the psalmist David sort of gets us to uh, a whole much broader gamut, as it were, as we look at the Lord's providential care. Um, And with that, we will read the Lord's word from Psalm 23, verses 1 to 6, and then we'll pray. We'll go. Psalm 23, Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Let's pray and seek God's face once again. Father in heaven, again we come before you and we pray that you will bless this reading and now the preaching of your word. Help me and help us to hear and say what you would have us know and learn from your word. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was a kid, I was unlike uh, most little boys my age. From the time I was like 10, 11, 12 years old on and upward, I was one of those kids who would often be a little more pensive. I'd be a little more contemplative. And just sort of to give you an inkling into my own mind, I'd think about... What's the purpose of it all? Where are we going? Uh, I would ask questions. What happens at the end of it all? And the re- what ultimately came out of that was a great deal of my personal anxiety as far as you know, looking to the future and, and worrying about what's going to happen next. And I realized not only does the scripture say, don't be anxious, you know, the Lord cares for his... People And you can see from passages like that in the New Testament and even in, in this passage, uh, there's no real room for anxiety, at least in, in David's life, because as he looks back at, at his past, how the Lord has cared for him in the past, 
certainly as he is looking at death in the face, we see in verse 4. And even as he's looking forward to his eternal reward and glory, he knows of the Lord's providential care for him in his own life. And so that really, again, as I said at the beginning, before the sermon began, we are considering a psalm that deals with the Lord's providential care for his people. And it's the sort of care that, uh, as we see, we'll see throughout the psalm, it follows David throughout every stage of his own life. It's a psalm that highlights how the Lord, uh, in his providential care, follows his people throughout the days, all the days of their life. And we'll see that in three ways. First, in uh, verses 1 to 3 of Psalm 23, we will see the Lord's past grace. In verse 4, we will see the Lord's present grace. And in verses 5 to 6, we'll see the Lord's future grace. His past grace, present grace, and then His future grace as we consider the Lord's care in every stage of life. Now regarding the first one, the Lord's past grace, there's a reason why I give it to you in that way, particularly as what we see in verses 2 to 3. Uh, he says things like, he, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Um, it, 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 it's, it, there's, in the present tense in the Hebrew, but it's not as if he's, he's simply highlighting how the Lord, what the Lord is presently doing in his life. The, the sort of sense uh, that is expressed here in the language sort of gives you, uh, David, some measure of assurance that not only is the Lord doing it now, but he has been doing it throughout the remainder of it, throughout the whole of his life, throughout uh, the days where he was still just a shepherd boy in his father's field, and how the Lord was with him even when he slayed David and Goliath, or, or how he slayed Goliath in that story in 1 Samuel 16. Or even how... Uh, even in David's uh, running around from his son, from Saul, and, and, and trying to save his own life as he's uh, being persecuted for, for his uh, anointing. We see throughout all of those instances how the Lord maintains and still cares for King David. And so it's like he's saying almost in this way. You have your, your spouse and you say you, you have in your mind and your own heart, you know, I, my, I, my spouse loves me. Well, why do you say that? Is it because they just started? No. It's mostly because of uh, things that they've done in the past, from the first moment that you met them, from the first time that you saw them coming down the aisle, or you were seeing them at the head of the aisle. It's, it's not as if he's saying that it's just beginning. It's present, or reality, yes, but he's looking back at past instances in his life that... David can say, yes, I know that the Lord loves me. I know that he cares for me. I know that he satisfies my soul. I know he restores my soul. I know he leads me by uh, still waters. And I know he instructs me by his righteous word. And the whole flow of this, this opening, these opening stanzas, these opening verses, is rooted with what we see here in verse 1 where he says, The Lord is my shepherd. Uh, the Lord, as you see it capitalized in the... In, the, uh, in your English translations is a translation for the Lord's covenant name of Yahweh. We're first introduced in the Bible that to the Lord's covenant name as, as far as my recollection can take me to Exodus chapter 3. You remember the story where Moses sees the Lord's cloud up at the top of the mountain. 
And he goes up to the mountain and he gets his commission from the Lord where the Lord says, you know, you'll go to Egypt, you'll tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses then responds to the Lord. He says, well, who should I, shall I tell the people to uh, send me? And he says, I am that I am. Tell the people of Israel that I am has sent me or has sent you. Now, the covenant name of the Lord is revealing a, a, the special relationship, again, that the Lord has with his own people. It's the sort of name that, the, that speaks to the Lord's infinity, his eternality, his uh, self-sufficiency. He has no need from anything of us. I mean, when we talk about uh, coming into uh, the house of the Lord for worship, we, we ascribe glory to the Lord. We don't add glory to the Lord. Uh, we don't bring our offerings to the Lord as if He needed anything, uh, because He says, as, as He says in Psalm 50, "You know, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. If I had any need of anything, I wouldn't tell you, because all everything in creation in this world is mine." And for that reason, it's how the Lord, uh, how this the rest of this psalm is governed. That it's out of this, out of this. Free giving, as it were, of the of the Lord, that David can look back on these instances and say, "Yes, I know that the Lord cares for me. I know that He assures me because He freely gives me Himself. He shows me Himself. He walks with me when in my own deep dark valleys. He walks with me even when I myself am struggling most." It's highlighting how the Lord cares for him, even he how he's. Great and magnificent and glorious, high above time and space. How even through his son, Jesus Christ, he condescends into this world and like a shepherd cares for his people. The shepherd idea, one of the first earlier instances to the shepherd idea is given to us in Genesis 37 where Jacob sends his son Joseph out to care for his sheep and it's to get them from one pasture to the next, or at least to be sure that they're getting from one pasture to the next. And when he says that the Lord is our shepherd, he's talking about it in such a way as to say that the Lord is making sure we're getting from one pasture to the next as well. But this psalm, is, as we see it on this side of the, of the cross, we know that this psalm is about the Lord Jesus Christ. I was reading a book, as seminarians tend to do, uh, called A Sheep Remembers by Dr. David Calhoun. Dr. Calhoun taught church history at Covenant Seminary uh, for about 40 years or so, and for the last 34 of his life, uh, dealt with recurring uh, cancer. And so you sort of get the sense out of what the, uh, the specialty, the... the, the, the Sincerity, almost, out of which that book was written. And speaking on this opening verse, he says uh, that the psalm is about the Lord Jesus. But here's what he says. He is the good shepherd who gave his life for his sheep, John 10. He's the great shepherd whom God brought again from the dead, Hebrews 13. He's the chief shepherd who one day will give the unfading crown of glory to his faithful under-shepherds, 1 Peter 5. And wonder of wonders, the shepherd became the lamb who by his sacrificial death takes away the sin of the world when the great multitude from every nation gather in heaven. The lamb will be their shepherd and he will guide them 
to springs of living water. The Lord Jesus Christ does the same thing for you. He's your shepherd who's leading you through every season of your life. And when you can look back on any instances in your life where you can say, has the Lord provided for me? Has the Lord cared for me? Yes, He has. And He's even given you your most important spiritual need as well through His Son, Jesus Christ, who it makes it a little more appropriate then to see how this psalm follows Psalm 22, not just so much numerically, this 23 follows 22, but specifically with what 22 says in verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The reason why we can speak of the Lord as our shepherd who doesn't leave us and who does not forsake us, even in our deepest spiritual physical trials, is because the Lord himself was forsaken on account of you and for you and for me. So that he might receive the glory by leading dead sinners and making them alive and bringing them to himself. And it's because all of the, these, things are, these things are true that the Lord, our Lord Jesus specifically is our shepherd, leading us and guiding us through every stage of life, that David can look back on his life, even in his present state, and say, He makes me lie down. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, if you know anything about sheep, you know that they're very tepid. Uh, they're easily startled, and they don't easily rest very well. Uh, so when a shepherd is leading his sheep, leading his flock, as it were, to from one pasture to the next, trying to get them to rest and, and simmer down for the night, uh, they're not going to do that if they feel that there's some sort of immediate threat, danger to their, uh, to their imminent lives. And so when David is talking about how the Lord is leading him or, or making him lie down in green pastures, he's, he's talking about a place in which David knows that he is lying down under the care of his shepherd, where he is being satisfied not just spiritually, but also physically. And you, you and I can think back on past instances of our own lives where we can say, uh, yes, the Lord has indeed uh, provided for me in these instances. I can't help but think back to my middle school and my high school life where in my own family we, we struggled a lot financially and, and, and alike. And, you know, I... You know, to see my parents uh, anxious about, you know, how we're going to pay for, how the house is going to be paid for next month or groceries for the next week, you know, it, it was a burden to go home to see that every day. And my grandmother in her infinite wisdom would always remind us how, uh, you know, just you know, pray and seek the Lord's guidance, seek the Lord's provision. Those who pray and seek the Lord in faith will find His provision, but... Physically and spiritually. Not soon thereafter, a friend in the church actually ended up providing like three months worth of deer meat uh, for us. And we certainly didn't have to deal with that portion on our grocery bills for a while. But nonetheless, you get the point. It brings me back to what my grandmother said, how the Lord indeed does provide for his people. And again, he not only provides that physical necessity that we can look back on and say, yes, 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 he does do those things. 
but also how he supplies our needs spiritually in sending us his own son. And, and it's by his giving of his son, by giving us his Holy Spirit, as we are seeking the renewing and the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit in our own lives, he's talking about these things like, he leads me beside still waters, he restores my soul. We're drinking, as it were, from the fountain, uh, from, the, from the river of, uh, of the Lord, of his holy hill, where we are finding true restoration and, and hydration as it were spiritually you know you don't go on hikes and you don't go on hikes dehydrated you don't go on fishing trips dehydrated you don't go on camping trips dehydrated nor do you go on uh, live the christian life dehydrated cut off as it were from the water and the word but the lord like a sheep like lord like a shepherd he's bringing his sheep back into the fold brings his own sheep back that they may find spiritual refreshment and renewing and restoration of their souls. But then he leads them in paths of righteousness. He's talking about there how we are led from one pasture to the next, but such that we are growing ourselves in righteousness as well. There's never a time in which in the Christian life where you stop growing, where you stop needing the work of the Spirit, the work of the Word in our lives. And the Lord himself is still doing that in, through the ministry of the church, through the ministry of God's people, through the ministry of his son. And so we can even look back at the turmoil in David's own life and David's own kingdom. And throughout it all, throughout being chased out of Jerusalem by his son, through being chased out by King Saul, from being chased out, as it were, uh, from from the Lord's presence when he committed his sin with Bathsheba. Even then, he can consider how the Lord has provided for him. So the biggest thing that we could take from this is to consider how the Lord provides for you, not just in the past, but even in the present, for your deepest needs, spiritually and otherwise. He doesn't give us everything we want, but he certainly gives us everything that we need. And we can consider his past grace and can consider how we might best praise him. But not even just then, we can look at him, look at his provision for us even in the present. And we can see it in his present grace in verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I like the language of the King James Version better where it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Mostly for its poetic style and for how it uh, uh, sort of captures you into that idea that the Hebrew is getting you to. How uh, not only is he assured of the Lord's presence and provision in the past, but he's also assured of his presence even now in the present, even when he's going through his own trials and tribulations. Uh, King, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ and John chapter 16 teaches us that we will certainly endure many trials and tribulations in this world. They are just, they accompany the Christian life. You, know, you lose friends, you lose relatives, you, you find some, somehow, some way people will try to avoid you by making that mere profession of faith. But a little different on another way, just being a Christian doesn't mean that aches and pains will merely go away, where there are certainly great testings to one's own faith, where we can consider the Lord's past 
provision, his past grace for us in our lives. But King David can also say that even though he's going through the deep spiritual valleys and the deep pains of his own soul, that the Lord is even with him, even in those moments. And that brings us to the idea of the valley of the shadow of death. Now, I no doubt believe that when any of us read that line, we, we think merely of the cessation of life. That's why we read it at funerals. Because for family members who are you know, at funerals, who are grieving uh, the loss of a loved one, uh, it does bring comfort to know that even in that, for our departed loved ones, that the Lord is with them even there. So much that you could say, even from this life to the next, the, the veil between death and life is, is just really very thin. You're going from this life to the next. And while that idea is certainly present in this verse, there is a, another addition, or there's another idea to it as well. That even in your deepest, darkest spiritual states, not just physical, certainly that's also there as well, but certainly in its most deepest spiritual states as well. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was one of the I would say probably the greatest preacher uh, of the last century, in the 20th century, uh, just for his, how the, the scope of his ministry from, from Wales, or from England as it were, uh, in the 20th century, uh, wrote a book one time called uh, Spiritual Depression. And one of the backstories to that book that, that, that I think will add context to the sort of sense that drives throughout the book is that... Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones himself wrote that book coming out of a deeper period of spiritual depression himself. Here's how it began. It began with uh, a conflict, you might say, with somebody in his church where he thought, or at least it was a perceived con uh, conflict in his own head, where from that conflict he felt like there was just some bad blood, as it were, between himself and his friend or his mentor. And it sent him into a deep spiral, as it were, of mind and spirit. It sent him in a spiral of mind and spirit where for about three or four months or so, he was committed to a mental care facility because he couldn't even do the basic things like get up in the morning without some sort of help because it was just it, the, the sense of the conflict between his friend brought him so low. And it was in that moment where Dr. Cal, or not Dr. Calhoun, Dr. Lloyd-Jones we could say was in that one of those deep valleys that most of us go through in those spiritual valleys as it were where we talk about the may the Lord's countenance shine upon you in Numbers chapter 6. You can't even see it. Throughout all of our spiritual lives be it physical pain, just chronic pain or even perceived difficulties with other friends and family members or even unparticular sins in our own lives that we have left unconfessed. The Lord's countenance does peel back, as it were. And that plunges us through, as it were, a valley of its own that it seems that we're never getting out of. The Lord in each of those 
types of valleys, what he does is he's using these things as teaching opportunities, as it were. Whenever we go through valleys for sin, it's because he's disciplining us. He disciplines those whom he loves. In chronic pain or even the cessation of life or losing us, losing life, he's teaching us how we may seek to, seek to more depend our lives upon him. Well, there's no easy answer for how why pain comes or why it doesn't stop. The one thing that we do know is that even in the midst of those trials and those deep valleys, that the Lord is indeed with his people. Because David can then say at the end of this verse, he takes things from a third person, he makes me lie down to where you can say things like, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He's assured of the Lord's presence, not merely because of any statement of fact, but by past actions in which the Lord has certainly cared for him in his past life. To where you can say, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You and your presence are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. These are instruments that shepherds use to sort of prod their sheep along, to get them from one field to the next. And the Lord himself, he's using these instruments that would be used for defense and used for, for care and prodding the sheep along. He's talking about them as if they were instruments of comfort. Being found within the discipline, within the teaching of the Lord's church, can do nothing more but encourage the believers even in the midst of deep trials and tribulations. Seeking his face in the word, seeking his face in and the ministry of the word, but seeking his face most of all when we can't seem to make sense of why we pray, we can't seem to make sense of why we even come to church, why we even do anything at all. Those sorts of moments. But we can't even find a reason to keep going. The Lord is still encouraging us to end this word by saying that you indeed are with me. So that even when we go through many pains and miseries in this life, we are assured and we do know that the Lord indeed is with us. And we know of that assurance because of what he's done through his son. Who we're not afflicted and we're not abandoned, we're not left in the dark as it were. Because his son was forsaken, his son was abandoned. And we have an example in the Lord Jesus Christ who bore that burden graciously and humbly lovingly seeking the care of his people and David is reminded of that even here and even now so we're not just considering then how the Lord is look, caring for us in the present but we also look for how he cares for us even in the future in verses 5 to 6 you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Lord Jesus is not here with us today. He has certainly gone back to be with the Lord and with the Father in heaven. But we are reminded in the New Testament how the Lord teaches us that if he, he goes to prepare a place for us, he says, I will surely come again. I can say for myself, I wouldn't go through a number of the 
at least I wouldn't know how to go through many of the trials and tribulations that this life is accompanied with if it wasn't for the promise of the Lord's resurrection and the Lord's coming again. He gives us that assurance that even when he is departed with us and he is with the Lord, he has certainly gone to prepare a place for us where one day we can look forward to there being a place where there are no more crying tears or pain. And what does he say in Revelation? Where the former things have gone away. He's going to prepare that place for us. He's going to prepare that place for his people where we are in everlasting bliss and felicity. Where we can behold his face, the face of the only begotten Son of God. And if he's gone again, gone, he will certainly come again. And he teaches us here in verse 6. That the Lord's goodness and mercy, even while he is away, will most certainly accompany us. Not just merely walking beside us, but will even indeed pursue us. Not leaving his people in the dark. Not leaving his people in a place where they see no end in sight. There's no clear answer other than the effect, besides, beyond the effects of sin in this world, there are no clear effects for why these trials and tribulations happen, but I do know for one thing, it isn't because there's any lack of love on God's part for him going to prepare a place for us where those sorts of things will pass away and will be no more, and where the Lord's goodness and his mercy will certainly accompany you and will not leave you nor abandon you, and that even for the sake of his own people, he, even if they should lose their lives, gain it all, because for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And for that future, we're being prepared for the future. We're being prepared for eternity, but we're also being prepared for that place where we shall dwell in the house of the Lord on Mount Zion. It's as if he takes us through by the streams of the water, through the, through the, through the pastures, as it were, down in the valleys and up to ascend his mountain. To be with him where he is. And friends, there's no greater place for that to be than for us to be in the presence of the Lord. There are many things we can say about heaven, but there is one thing we cannot say, and we can't talk about it with reference to anything that we experience on this life, only that it is a place where we are in union and communion with God for all eternity. And where the aches and the pains that certainly do accompany this life are made no more. To think and to ponder about that for a moment is inconceivable. The wonder of wonders, he would do so for poor sinners like you and like me. Who struggle with pride, who struggle with anger, who struggle with humility. Especially in how we relate one with another. And how we seek to take the Lord's glory from him and deny him his rightful place, his glory, glorious God. <clears throat> Wonder of wonders that he goes to prepare a place for you that we may dwell in his house forever. That we may dwell in union and communion with the Lord forever. This life indeed is hard. This life indeed is one in which 
it is difficult to figure out where one should go next. But the only thing I do know and can rest on and bank my life on is that the Lord Jesus Christ is still walking with me even now. My grandmother, um, currently living, has dementia and I don't know that if I go home next time that she'll actually be able to remember me. My own grand my other grandmother that I've mentioned many times. Who sought to serve the Lord with every fiber in her being. Lost her ability to walk and use her left arm through a stroke that happened to her. And the easy thing for anybody to do is to clench their fists at heaven and say, God, why me? Many Psalms teach us how to lament in that way. And they do. But because of the Lord's rising again from the dead, we can rest and be assured of one thing and one thing for certain. We can echo and praise what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, O death, where is thy sting? So we can consider and more and more of the Lord's providential care for his people. David Calhoun wrote in his final book, in that final book, he sent the book for publication as a couple months or so before he passed away. And he leaves us with these words. This is his last paragraph, as it were. The story of my life on earth is not yet over. It may be the last chapter. It may even be the last page. Lord, I pray, finish the story in your own way. And then let me go generously, even joyfully, into that good night that opens into resurrection morning. One of the things that we can do, like Dr. Calhoun, is look forward to the day where the travails of this life's woes are numbered because the Lord Jesus Christ, our good shepherd, has numbered them by his victorious resurrection. Death has lost its sting. Sin has lost its power. So follow your shepherd till that day where that seemingly everlasting good night is made into a bright morning. You see his face before to that day.
pray. God in heaven, again, we thank you for your word. We pray even by our enfeeble attempts that you will make your word effectual by your spirit. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.